0: Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church and this week we're continuing our study of the sequence of events leading up to the return of Christ as part of our verse by verse um, study of the book of Revelation. We've reached the great and awesome day of the Lord when he returns in power and glory and we're going to see the events of that day. Let's start with Revelation 19 verse 11, I saw heaven opened. We saw how heaven will be rolled back like a scroll. Uh, so that the people on earth will be able to see the sign of the Son of Man uh, in the distance. And behold, a white horse, and him who sat on it is called Faithful and True. That's Christ. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His all-seeing eyes are as a flame of fire. In other words, he can clearly see into the hearts of men, and he's ready to execute their judgment. And on his head are many diadems. That's the crowns of all the kingdoms of the world. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's the blood of those he is executing with his sword as he flies over these uh, armies on his horse. Uh, He flies over their heads and by the sword coming out of his mouth he is destroying those enemy armies. And his name is called the Word of God. Jesus, of course, is the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, and that's us, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, in his kingdom he will reign as the supreme king over all the kings and lords of every nation. Well, in our sequence of events, we're at number 13 now. The, th- the armies of the Antichrist now attack the Lord and his army, but they will fail. You see, these armies actually had gathered to Israel, and one reason you know, they had done that was to exterminate Israel but instead what they've actually done is walked into God's place of judgment where they will be exterminated. They had gathered like vultures to eat the carcass of Israel. So it's fitting that the birds of the air are now invited to feed on their flesh. That's a good example of sowing and reaping. And that's announced in Revelation 19:17. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he crowed, cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And so these armies try to fight against the lamb and his armies, but they are defeated. Revelation 17 talks about this as well. These ten kings and the beast, the Antichrist, will wage war against the lamb as he returns. And the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are the called, chosen, and faithful. That's us. Revelation nineteen nineteen says, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his armies. So they fire all their missiles at him, but to no avail. And so they are gathered together to destroy Israel, but they're also gathered to try and stop Jesus' return and set up his kingdom on earth. And so they will attack him as he returns, but they will fail. Because point 14 is that Jesus kills the Antichrist and then very quickly afterwards resurrects him and throws him into the lake of fire, body and soul. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 talks about the death of the Antichrist. It says, The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, that's the sword coming out of his mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Habakkuk 3 gives a very graphic description of the second coming that we will see. In verse 13 it says, You went forth, Christ went forth, for the salvation of your people, that's Israel, for, the, for salvation with your anointed, that's Christ, you struck the head of the house of the wicked, and that's his killing of the Antichrist. The, it's interesting if you want to study it yourself in Isaiah 14, describes the arrival of Antichrist's spirit into Hades. As he enters Hades, the, the great ones among the dead are amazed to see him so humbled. The spectacle of his dead body on the earth is seen, in verse 16 to 21. Those viewing his body will be amazed that this great ruler died so suddenly and easily. He didn't get a splendid burial like other kings, but he's trampled by the fleeing armies. He will not even be buried, because soon afterwards Jesus will resurrect him and throw him into the lake of fire. And that's what Revelation 19.20 says. It says, Then the beast, the Antichrist, was captured Now, literally, this is the word seized. He was seized. And this signifies that, having died and gone into Hades, now Christ seizes his soul out of Hades to resurrect him, to throw him in the lake of fire. It says, the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet also, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two the Antichrist and false prophet, were cast alive. That's mean that they've been resurrected from the dead. They're cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So they are immediately resurrected because such was their evil that the Lord decides to fast-track them into their final place of punishment, the lake of fire, a thousand years before anyone else. And so we read, a thousand years later, after the millennium, In Revelation 20.10, it talks about the devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet already are. They've been there for a thousand years all on their own. And now finally the devil joins them. Now, having killed the Antichrist, resurrected him, thrown him in the lake of fire, point 15 now is that Jesus then goes on to destroy the armies of Antichrist. Verse, uh, chapter 19.21, it says, And the rest the rest of his armies, were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now the sword here, different kinds of Roman sword, but the sword here was the longest and the heaviest Roman sword, a weapon of mass destruction. Only the strongest man could use it by holding it with both hands and swinging it to and fro. It was massive. And he would swing it to and fro and mow down anyone that's in front of him. Who gets in the way? In that way, one man could kill hundreds. It could easily penetrate any armor. It required enormous strength to use it, and it was shaped like a tongue. And and so this is the kind of sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. And on this great and terrible day of the Lord, He will use His tongue like flashing, His tongue like a flashing sword, to cut down all His enemies as He flies over their armies on his horse, he will speak the word of his power and instantly strike down all the armies. Notice he's still airborne on his horse because this is before he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives, as, and that will be the final act of triumph, having overcome all his foes. Well, point number 16, it says that in destroying all these armies, First of all, Jesus goes to Petra in Bosra to save the remnants of Israel there. That's the first place he goes to save his people. We'll see that now. So far, we saw that the Antichrist armies gathered in the north of Israel at Megiddo. Then they spread through the land, going south to Jerusalem. Then they went further south and east to where the remnant is penned up in the sheepfold of Petra in Edom in South Jordan. And actually the distance from Megiddo to Petra is 200 miles. His people, Israel, are now all calling on Jesus to save them as they face imminent destruction. This triggers his return. And Jesus first returns to save the remnant at Petra, who are under siege. S- then, starting from Bosra, Petra, and going to all the way to Megiddo, flying over all the armies of the Antichrist, he destroys them all. And that's what Zechariah 12.7 means when it says, the Lord will save the tents or the temporary dwellings of Judah first. Those are the, the ones camped out there in Petra. Jeremiah 49 talks about this. It says, therefore hear the counsel of the Lord that he's taken against Edom and his purposes that he's proposed against the inhabitants of Timan. Surely he will make their dwelling places desolate. The earth shakes at the noise of their fall. At the cry its noise is heard at the Red Sea. Behold, and this is Jesus now, he will come up and fly like the eagle and spread his wings over Bosra. That's the sheepfold where his sheep are penned up. So here's Jesus flying over Petra. The heart of the mighty men of Eden in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. And so the Edomites have joined with the Antichrist to try and destroy the Jews there. And so it says he spreads his wings over his people as an eagle protects its young. Remember Jesus said, I would put my wings over you and protect you. And so here it says they're calling on him. And now he flies and he spreads his wings over them to protect them from those destructing armies. Micah chapter 2 verse 12 also describes how he breaks this siege at Bosra and leads them out victoriously. It says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like the sheep of the fold. That's Bosra. Bosra means sheepfold. And the one, Christ, who breaks open, who breaks the siege, will come up before them. Christ will lead them out of the sheepfold. They will break out of the sheepfold. They will pass through the gate, and that's called the seek in Petra, the, the gate, the narrow gate through which you enter and exit Petra. They will pass through the gate and go out by it. Their king, that's Jesus, will pass before them with the Lord at their head, leading the way. Isaiah 34 describes the judgment that takes place at that time. He says, come near you nations to hear, for the indignation of the Lord is against all nations and his fury against all their armies. He's utterly destroyed them. He's given them over to the slaughter. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. That's the supernatural blackout. And, all, and the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. Remember we talked about how there's, it, the heavens are rolled back so that the sign of the Son of Man can be seen. All their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine and the fruit falling from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. In other words, it's prepared in heaven. And then it will come down on Edom. So judgment begins in Edom. And on the people of my curse for judgment, the sword of the Lord, that's the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, is filled with blood. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Their land will be soaked with blood, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance. That's the second coming of Christ. The year of recompense for the cause of Zion. The last phrase refers to the judgment of Gentile nations, which begins at Edom. Starting with Edom. Individuals and nations will be judged for their mistreatment of God's people, the Jews, and the nation of Israel. Through anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, he acts for the cause of Zion. Now, point 17 now. Having delivered them at Bozra and leads them forth, he now flies across the rest of the armies. And this we call the treading of the grapes. From Bosra all the way, to Megiddo. From here, Jesus starts to systematically destroy the armies of the Antichrist, treading them like grapes in his winepress as he marches from Bosra to Israel. He will come, you see, to save his people and judge his enemies by trampling them like grapes in a winepress. Many scriptures use this picture. The gathering and treading of grapes is a prophecy of judgment upon all the armies that come to Israel at the battle of Armageddon. Revelation fourteen says, "Thrust in your sharp sickle, sickle, and gather the clusters of the wine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe." In other words, they are their armies are ripe for judgment. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. That's the armies are gathered together into the land of Israel. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. That's Jerusalem. And the winepress being trampled means the men were crushed like grapes. And blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, and that's exactly 200 miles. And so this describes the splattered blood that, uh, on the horses for 200 miles, and that's the exact distance from Bosra, in the south to Megiddo in the north, the entire extent of the occupying armies. Who does the crushing? Well, Revelation 19.15, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the grapes are the people whose blood is shed as Jesus crushes them underfoot when he returns to judge those who are destroying his people. Joel 3.13 also describes this. He says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the winepress, the land of Israel, is full, full of grapes. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. It's their time for judgment. Jeremiah 25 also describes this judgment of nations that comes to a climax at this time. The Lord's roar from heaven signals his return to tread the grapes and judge the nations and kill the wicked. Let's read, the Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will give a shout as those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise will come to the ends of the earth for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead his case with all flesh. He will give those who wicked to the sword, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, disaster will go forth from nation to nation. And a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the furthest parts of the earth. In at that day the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth even to the other end. They shall not be lamented, gathered or buried, but become refuse on the ground. And so Jesus is coming to destroy all the wicked on the earth. He now goes through the land, as I said, from light like lightning, flying over these armies. And it's like lightning flashing from east to west. You see, because Petra in Jordan is to the east. And then he flies to the west where Israel is. And destroying the enemy armies as he goes. And Jesus said that, didn't he? As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass, Israel is, there the vultures will be gathered together. That's Antichrist's army swooping on the carcass. And in Luke 17... This carcass is mentioned in answering the question, Lord, where will you return? And he answered by saying he'll return to where the vultures are attacking the carcass. That's Israel. Why will he return to Israel? To save Israel from these vultures. And he'll fly on his horse over all the enemy armies, spread out the 200 miles from Petra to Megiddo, and turning them into a river of blood. And then having completed his victory over them, he triumphantly sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives. And so the treading of the grapes of these armies starts at Bosra. And Isaiah gives us a dramatic picture of this. Standing on a high point of Israel, he sees a glorious blood-soaked figure coming from Bosra in Edom, going forth to save his people, marching through the land in indignation, single-handedly destroying all his enemies, treading the armies of the nations underfoot, causing the blood to be sprinkled on his garments. And we see that in Isaiah 63. As he sees, the prophet sees the Lord approaching Israel from Bosra, he asks, who is this that comes from Edom, with dyed garments from Bosra, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, And Jesus answers, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save, to save Israel. Isaiah asks back, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Jesus answered, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. Jesus does all the fighting, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury Their blood is sprinkled on my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. In other words, he's come to save his people. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. And that's why, in his description of the second coming, Habakkuk, in Habakkuk 3, saw the Lord coming from Edom, and that's in Habakkuk 3, three, and he's traveling toward Israel in his glory, having just liberated the remnant from the armies of the Antichrist. Let's, let's read now in Habakkuk 3. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, he had fl- rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. And he goes on to describe his enemies falling beneath his feet. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. And as Habakkuk goes on he describes how the earth, the sea, the rivers and the nations tremble before his advancing glory. Then it says that even the sun and moon will bow to Jesus. The sun and the moon stood still. Not only are they been darkened, but they stand still in their habitation. In the at the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. And so as well as turning off the sun, the greater than Joshua will also stop it as he comes to bring Israel into a promised inheritance, just like Joshua did. So the sun will be made to stand still during the great and awesome day of the Lord, as the Lord of glory makes his entrance into the universe. and This will become evident when God turns the lights on again at the end of the day, at evening time, after completing his conquest. So Jesus will appear at dawn, and then for the next 12 hours is, is when he's doing all of this action. And once he has completed his work in that day, at the end of the day at six o'clock at evening time, he will now turn back the lights in the universe, but there will be a shock. Um, When he turns on the lights again at the end of the day at evening time, after completing his conquest, something will happen that will prove that actually he stopped the sun for those 12 hours, just like Joshua stopped the sun in order to to complete his conquest. The greater than Joshua will also stop the sun. We read that in Zechariah 14. It says, in that day there'll be no light. The lights, sun, moon, and stars, will dwindle. And it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor light. But it will come to pass that at evening time there will be light. Now during this unique day, all natural lights go out, so it's not a day, but neither is it night, because the glory of Christ will light the whole world. And when he turns the lights on again at evening time, when the sun should be setting, actually the sun will be rising to bring in a full day of light. In the evening time it will be light, signifying that he is bringing in a new day of history in which the Lord will be king over all the earth, as it says. So Habakkuk 3 now continues, verse 12, you march through the land. That's Jesus, in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed one. You struck the head of the house of the wicked, the Antichrist. And so the devastating result of Christ's sword is as he marches through the land, is seen in Joel 2.20, but also Zechariah 14. It says, this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will dissolve while they stand in their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Pretty gory stuff. And it will come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. You can imagine these armies in the total panic. Then number 18, it says, Then having accomplished total victory, Christ lands and puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem in triumph. He does this on the same day that he started the fighting, because this is the great and awesome day of the Lord. Jesus says that he will return to the Mount of Olives, just the same place he ascended into heaven. Zechariah says, I'll gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, the same day, his feet will stand in triumph, having accomplished his victory, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, facing Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Then the Lord my God will come and all the saints with him. You know, it's interesting, in Mark eleven twenty-three, 23, Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives when he said, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says that to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and believes that what he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And he's telling but he says, whoever speaks to this mountain in sea, Jesus will do exactly that. He will speak to the Mount of Olives. And it will divide into two, creating a large valley running east to west from the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea. And through that, a river of water will, will flow. The splitting of the Mount of Olives has two purposes. First, it allows the surviving Jews to escape to safety from Jerusalem while Jesus makes massive renovations to the landscape of Israel that we'll see in due course. And so they need to escape uh, from all of the large earth movements, and that's in Zechariah 14.5. And then this valley that's created will be a channel for the living waters that, that, in Ezekiel 48 that flow out of the new temple that water the land. Well, once Christ has finished his conquests, it will be evening time and he will restore the natural lights. It says he, it will come in to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. A unique day known only to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it, it will happen that it will be light. And then it says in that day there will be living waters will flow from Jerusalem half towards the eastern sea and half to the western sea through this valley. In summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one and his name one. Now, he will be the one to be worshipped across the whole world. No other religion, nothing else. His name alone will be worshipped. And so here we see Jesus is on his throne. A new administration begins. A new kingdom is established. Finally, at last, a righteous one world government and worship is established. And Jesus, the greater than Joshua, will come. And as Joshua brought Israel into the Promised Land, Jesus will come and bring Israel into their messianic kingdom. Just like Joshua stopped the sun, so Jesus will stop the sun on that great and awesome day of the Lord. I hope you've enjoyed this series on the book of Revelation. And I've now written a book called the book of Revelation, a commentary by Derek Walker and this really contains the material in the course with with the pictures and the charts and so this book is available for 15 pounds and this will help you revise and study uh, the book of Revelation in great detail Jesus said you'll be blessed if you keep the words of this book and so let me recommend that to you you get this study book that goes verse by verse through the book of revelation. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH.